everybody. Welcome to the February 27th, 2015 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Duzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the Denver International Airport celebrating the 20th anniversary of its opening this Saturday. It's still the newest and biggest commercial airport in the country as it expands a hotel and a light rail line coming next year. Panicahoon from Westward, uh, we've been, does it feel like it's been 20 years? No, it feels like just yesterday that it was the, it was, the opening was delayed for, what, the fourth time back in 1994. We had the incredible baggage problem on the automated baggage system that ate suitcases. We had the cost overruns, but against all odds, it seems to me, DIA has worked out pretty well. It some, Somehow, it seems much closer than it did back in 1995 when we were first driving out there. And people seem to like it. Now, if they could just have the pot souvenirs, if the expansion can work as well, if they can keep the Mustang there and keep the good art there, we'll have, we'll have a good airport for the next 20 years. And they're celebrating with it. You get sent a, a huge press gift kit. We'll, we'll, mm -hmm. we'll show this part of it. Uh, just, just one of many items in there. The uh, the whole TSA approved. Right. When it like opened, it. you were able to carry more than three ounces of liquid. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's a, how times have changed with just with DIA and how we travel. Uh, David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Um, has DIA, is DIA the airport that was promised us 20 years ago? We were promised an airport that was, whose purpose was a large public works construction project, and we got that and we got all the buy-in from the public works contractors and everybody else to the political system to make that happen. I'm skeptical about an airport whose artwork logo is Satan's stallion. <laughs> we had an airport that was a great business advantage to Denver. We were the second closest airport to the city center. Only, the only thing closer was Reagan uh, Airport in D.C. And when we think about all the corporate welfare that goes into convention centers and things like that, we had a really strong natural advantage of you can fly in and get to downtown or wherever easily and quickly. We traded that, and Stapleton needed to be expanded, but there was place space to do that at the Rocky Mountain Arsenal to, to add additional runways. Instead of our close and convenient airport, we now have the second furthest airport from the city center, second only to Dulles Airport in Washington, D.C. So it is a good airport to connect through with plenty of, par plenty of shopping, but it, it is an inconvenient airport for the people who live in this city and for travelers who are coming to Denver to do business in Denver. Penfield Tate, attorney at Greenberg Traurig, also a longtime state lawmaker. Uh, 20 years, we've seen DIA cover a whole host of highs and lows. Uh, David brings up a good point. I mean, I, I like to tease people that we, we share an airport with Kansas, which is nice. Uh, but DIA has also done pretty well. I mean, it's, it, it's still uh, 
promise it promised to be a good cold weather airport or a bad weather airport. It's delivered on that message. How, what do you feel about these uh, first 20 years of DIA? Uh, well, first, I, th I think David's far too cynical. I, I think DIA. <laughs> no, wait a second. You're right. David Copeland <laughs> cynical at this table? D DIA represents a promise made, a promise kept. Um, we were promised a world class airport, and that's what this region got. Um, clearly, DIA is a star among airports, both nationally and internationally. It's been a phenomenal boon for the Colorado economy. When you look where it's placed now, but for DIA, you wouldn't have the Stapleton neighborhood to begin with, and we couldn't expand onto the arsenal because they weren't going to make it available for runways, but now you have the Stapleton Airport, all of that development, Northfield. It's done wonders for Green Valley Ranch and some of the other development around Tower Road. Aurora's benefited from DIA. The suburbs have benefited from DIA. And we've all benefited from a world-class airport, and that's what we have. And it's going to get even better with the hotel and with the light rail line running to it. Sure, it's physically more distant from the core of the city than Stapleton was, but then Stapleton also gave us the benefit of lawsuits from neighborhoods about the noise. And, and so there were a host of problems we had to work through. But I think what DIA really represents is through the Pena and Webb administrations how uh, government can work for communities and a region and how people can can participate in that process and get get an end result that works in everybody's best interest. Eli Stokels, political reporter with Fox 31, uh, uh, anchor on KWGN. Uh, we're honored to have you here. As we, we heard the, the big news this week about you heading off to D.C., all the comparisons with D.C. Right. airports. We have uh, Much Eli nicer flying into yeah. Reagan than Dulles, that's <laughs> for sure. Exactly. Uh, give us your, uh, how you feel about uh, DA's big 20th well, anniversary. I wasn't here 20 years ago. I've heard the nightmarish stories about the bags being eaten. But I think that, you know, aside from being in West Kansas, you have to talk a lot about what's happened in the 20 years since and give a lot of credit to folks like Tom Clark and the economic development folks who have really taken the airport and made sure that they've recruited uh, business and new flights and new pathways to not just Europe now but to Asia. I was on the, one of the, the second flight to Japan um, last year, I believe, and you know, getting back from Tokyo in nine hours is kind of incredible. And you can, you can think about what that does for business, and now they're establishing routes to South America. So as an economic driver of international trade and business, I think it's only going to expand and, and get larger. Uh, I think the disappointing thing after 20 years is that we're just now establishing light rail. And in terms of public transportation and making an airport accessible, you know, if you're going to build it in West Kansas, you better come up with ways that people can get there. Um, and I think in terms of making a city livable and multimodal and, you know, achieving the things that, that we talked about, I don't know why it's taken 20 years. I mean, we all know why. I guess it's the funding and the money. But it's disappointing that it's taken 20 years to finally get people who can take the train out to that airport. I couldn't agree with you more. You go to other big cities you get off the plane, you can spend a couple of bucks, get to the city center. The fact that it was always a $50 or more taxi cab from DIA was embarrassing. It's nice at least the problem's getting fixed now. Nine of 36 policy proposals received the required support from the Colorado Oil and Gas Task Force to be sent to the governor this week. The proposals range from sharing information about local government's land plans to creating a process to mediate disputes between local communities and energy companies. Uh, Patty, we've been waiting for these proposals since really the task force was created last year, really just to, to change the election 2014 and hopefully get something out of it. Some folks say that we have some pretty productive proposals, but still not sure if it's going to stop anything from going to the ballot. From what you saw this week, what do you think? Well, certainly the biggest success was in keeping it off the ballot and 
2014 because now we're seeing that there are people who are look who look like they're going to be pushing for a statewide ban. We have the people complaining about fracking Denver when in fact the only fracking in Denver is on DIA <laughs> and I bet they're taking more than three ounces out each time. Uh, <laughs> So we're going to be hearing a lot of things over the next few months as the legislature only needs to take action on two of these, although they could certainly opt to do some others. Some of the compromises that came up look pretty good, but there were so many more things floated than nine, the nine that the majority were able to agree on. I think it's too bad that we didn't come closer on giving locals at least more voice, local municipalities. If local municipalities can decide not to have pot shops, they can certainly come up with something against fracking in their own community depending on how just how invasive the fracking procedure is so I think we did actually have a discussion we need more discussion and unfortunately we're going to get more discussion probably in all the wrong ways David when you look at the nine proposals what does it do to the middle ground folks as they perceive fracking the, the folks who are anti-fracking until it's banned aren't going to be in favor of any proposals and the oil and gas companies is going to be on their side but for that, that middle ground of folks looking for kind of the Colorado flavored compromise how do you think they'll look at these proposals? Oh, favorably I think and I think actually the proposals that came out reflect well on Governor Hickenlooper in selecting a diverse commission and then I believe you needed two-thirds support for the proposals, and that meant you couldn't have just one, one or the other faction. So these consensus proposals, I think, do make sense. They are good ways to promote earlier con community involvement and notice, and at the same time, they are also fair to property owners because they don't allow a someone's property rights to be taken away with no compensation. It is true that uh, a city or a county can say whether they're going to have retail marijuana stores, but you can't forbid somebody under our Constitution from growing marijuana on their own land. And likewise, if you're a homeowner and you want fracking to take place on your land, that is your right, and if a government wants to take it away, they ought to pay you uh, how much they're taking, the value they're taking, which is enormous. But of course, that's that's not even on the table. We have a state law that says the Oil and Gas Commission is supposed to foster the development of the oil and of oil and gas extraction in this state. And just like you could say, having an, a good airport fosters economic development and prosperity for the people as a whole. So does the oil and gas industry. So this this is a positive fair and balanced uh, result from the commission and kudos to them for their work. Ben, do you think that the results from the task force will be, I guess, sold or marketed properly by lawmakers? Because you saw some people being supportive of it, but you saw the predictable reaction from activists who are against fracking saying these are terrible. But it seemed that even from Governor Hickenlooper, yeah, these should probably be adopted. Well, he didn't need to have a parade, but it didn't really just seem like a ringing endorsement. Does it need that to win over that middle ground? You know, I, I think it does, but I think more to Patty's point, uh, I, I don't think it resolves the controversy. I, I think the commission did good work. I know that several of the members, based on their public comments, were disappointed that they couldn't get consensus on some bigger policy issues, but that's the nature of the group if they require two-thirds um, agreement. So what they really did is, is sort of created a, a platform to codify agreement on all of the sort of easy stuff 
the real difficult questions are out there and they couldn't reach resolution on those and unfortunately we'll probably have uh, a battleground again uh, with a ser series of ballot proposals being filed which I don't think serves us well because typically that context for dealing with big policy issues isn't always the best place and the thing that I still find distressing personally is someone who wants to see us reach some side of state some sort of statewide compromises despite all of the TV commercials that still get run no one's addressed the core science issue is it safe in neighborhoods and, and in other places no one has really definitively spoken to that and until that's spoken to I think the, the contentious nature of this debate just continues. Eli, what was the reaction on Capitol Hill to uh, these nine proposals and the, the overall task force in general? Well, I mean, the governor's office is pretty happy with it. They wanted to make it seem like this wasn't just sort of a, you know, charade that they did to, uh, you know, get out of a sticky situation last year and that it was actually real and it was going to come up with tangible uh, solutions. I mean, all they did was take the low-hanging fruit. I think on Cap, I mean, at the Capitol, Look, nothing's getting through the Capitol. I mean, we've already seen the first month and a half of the legislature. It's just each party, each chamber shooting the other guys hostage every single day. So, I mean, nothing legislatively is getting done on this, uh, at least for two years. And I think there's a recognition of that. The governor can act in a regulatory arena with some of this stuff. But, again, it's, it's just the low-hanging fruit. I mean, you talk about a policy area I will be disappointed to leave behind and not get to focus on as much. I mean, this isn't, this isn't peace in the Middle East, but it's close on the state level. There's nothing else that seems like as impossible to resolve as this. And the reason is, um, I mean, the, the, you can understand the, the environment, the economy. There are different things here, and it's, it seems to be a little bit of a zero-sum game. There's a lot of money on both sides, um, and, you know, the industry is right when it says there are activists out there who want nothing short of a full statewide ban. It's true. Some of them do. They're right when they say they've given a lot, and they've, they've taken on new regulations and supported them that cost them a lot of money, and as the market has shifted and the price of oil has dropped, it's a little harder for them to compromise and say, Okay, we'll just, you know, here's another couple hundred million dollars of, you know, costs. We'll, we'll, just, we'll just eat it. Not, not as uh, willing to do that at this point. But the industry also locked down and, and would not support anything but the most minimal concessions to local control. And so I think, you know, both sides are willing to move, then we could get somewhere. But given the outside interests, that does not seem all that likely. A bill that would ban red light cameras and photo radar vans was approved by a state house committee this week. Supporters of the ban referred to the devices as cash cows, while opponents, including law enforcement officials, say they make the streets safer. Traffic cameras accumulated $14 million in revenue in 2014, with a lot of it coming from fines paid by Denver drivers. Uh, David, this is uh, always something that we see at the Capitol um, but it hasn't gone anywhere uh, in, in past years because law enforcement th officials, and including city officials, have been able to say, no, this is a, a big deal and the bill dies. Do you think the future of this bill is going to be any different? I, I hope so. In the 19th century, the English philosopher, utilitarian philosopher Jeremy Bentham designed a new type of prison called the Panopticon, where the guards, it was because of how the, it was arranged in a circle, so every prisoner could be visible to the guards every second of the day. The 20th century French postmodernist philosopher Michel Foucault talked about how society in general was becoming that panopticon with people under constant surveillance. And things have gotten a lot worse since he wrote that several decades ago. Red light cameras are 
you use high technology with a private company contracted to spy on the people and collect revenue from it and share some of that with the government. This is a model that you can see expanding. Boulder can hire a company to provide drones and fly over the Boulder Creek path and see if somebody is vaping there and knock them with a $150 fine. So this is a, the red light cameras are a terrible precedent. It is true that when you go into public, including on the public streets, you, you make yourself visible. But I don't think we consent to being under constant electronic surveillance when we go out in public. And if you, in London, you certainly are from one security camera to another. You're never off the telescreens of Big Brother. That's the wrong way to go. It is a starting point for a totalitarian society. And even if it has the, remains the forms of democracy, a citizenry under constant surveillance is not a free citizenry. So I hope they cut the snake, cut the head of the snake off now and have strong laws to prevent the growth of future things like this. Pam, I'm not exactly sure how you follow uh, 19th century uh, English and French I'll, philosophy. I'll, I'll go there. <laughs> give it your best shot. Uh, if anyone can do it, I know you can. Uh, I'll just say, David, I agree with the final point. But here's the thing I've never understood about this issue. If they worked, they wouldn't be cash cows. So clearly, they're not changing people's behavior. Um, what people do, at least with the vans, is since they now, by regulation, have to post, oh, by the way, dummy, there's a photo radar van up ahead, people slam on the brakes and slow down, pass the van, then they slam on the accelerator again and keep right on going. Um, y you know, I, I think it really is, it's a, it's, it's a subterfuge. I, I don't think these things are saving lives. I don't think they're deterring traffic accidents. I think it is revenue generation, and I think that's why... Um, local governments like it, but I don't know if that's the right policy. I think what's far more of a deterrent is say, having money to put enough officers on the street to have people behave appropriately when they're driving uh, around town. So um, we'll see what happens. I think this bill's going to pass. I think they're going to ban it. Um, I know when I was there, we had a couple of legislators who, frankly, put some of the regs in place now because they were tired of collecting these tickets when they came to Denver to come up and sit in the Capitol. Uh, Eli, you are uh, our, our guy in Capitol Hill. Is this uh, going to get to the governor's desk? I think it could this year uh, because of the change dynamic. And, and uh, it's not an issue that cuts totally along partisan lines. There are a lot of Democrats that are sort of divided on it. Mm -hmm. Most Republicans don't like it because they're a little more libertarian. Um, I mean, I, I, I was sort of in awe of the Foucault reference and the Bentham reference. <laughs> I also think that's a little bit over the top to say that because there are cameras on red lights trying to enforce traffic laws and probably generating a lot of revenue uh, for the municipalities that use them, that we're all under surveillance. I mean, look, there are cameras everywhere, and, and whether these are banned or not, people in public are going to have to understand there are cameras everywhere, and a lot of them are people's cell phones, and police officers have to understand. I mean, that's just the new reality in the 21st century. It's, it's different from a totalitarian surveillance state where you might have concerns about that based on what the NSA is doing. But, you know, when you're walking down the public street in downtown Denver, I think that, you know, I, there, are, there are a lot of cameras whether we ban these uh, or not. I, I think it's interesting, Ed Perlmutter, uh, as progressive a Democrat as there is in the, you know, Washington, the federal delegation, wants to push a federal bill on this. I joked with him and, and wrote a piece saying, I wonder if that means he's running for governor, because these things are pretty popular, and uh, this is a, a sort of populist uh, you know, red meat legislation where a lot of people look at it and say, oh, that's great, you know, get something done. I hate those cameras. Anybody who's got a ticket probably hates those cameras. Um, but 
you know, in terms of the impact, it'll probably impact municipalities the most. Uh, Patty, you can quote uh, Hobbes or Locke or Calvin and Hobbes. You go, go for it. And uh, what's uh, your point on the probability that we'll see a red light camera ban soon? It might be the only thing that we'll actually see legislators agree on this year because everyone hates them. And it's not just the vans that, as you point out, you know, you get warned about and you're really stupid if you miss those. But the bigger problem is if you have the red light, it's a ju you don't have a judgment call there. You know, your wheel goes... Your tire is three feet too far up. You stop. You still get the ticket. You have to fight the ticket. That's the kind of irritating bureaucracy that is, I think, really turning off the citizenry. And this is one of the things. They're used to people with their cell phones taking pictures of them. They're used to people putting nasty things about them, especially if it's Eli on Facebook. People are <laughs> used to this now, but you at least want to be able to fight back, and you can't do it with a red light. Um, tickets for the most part. So I think we'll see this pass, and it'll be really fascinating to see if promoters able to get it through Congress. That's very true. Well, let's get a quick take on this one. Colorado legislators are considering a bill that would tighten restrictions on physicians who prescribe marijuana for patients complaining of severe pain. The proposal also looks at medical caregivers who grow plants for others. Uh, Penn, we've heard a lot about recreational marijuana regulation. This is one of the first times we've heard about medical marijuana regulation. What do you think? I think it's years too late. I think every 21 to 34 year old with life altering pain already has their medical marijuana card and so they're not going to be impacted. My fear is what's now going to happen is, remember we talked a couple weeks ago about the one student in one of the public schools who was taking the oil mm -hmm. and, and it didn't have much THC and they got expelled. Those are the folks now who I think are going to be impacted by tightening this is the folks who have truly legitical medical needs and they're using a sort of a traditional physician who's not a marijuana physician to try to try this as as a new therapy they're the ones who are going to get caught up in this morass now trying to figure out how and when and if they can prescribe to their patients i, I think i understand what the legislature wants to do i think they're just years too late doing this Eli, your quick take on this one. Yeah, what he said, although better late than never. I mean, I think it was amazing over the last decade how everybody, you know, my age in Colorado immediately got sick. Um, <laughs> and hopefully they're doing better. Um, I think that you got to try. I think this just speaks to the difficulty of, you know, when you, when you legislate through the ballot box and through initiatives and amend the Constitution, you got to go back to the Constitution. So to really harmonize medical and recreational, voters will have to do it. And that's a whole undertaking that'll take a couple of years. So the legislators can just sort of make piecemeal changes. But, um, you know, as we talk about oil and gas and other things, I think people should be very cautious of, of voting yes on any ballot initiative because of how difficult it is to change it down the road. Patty, you are our expert here. Do you think this is going to go through? I think it might go through, and it will be too bad in some ways because it's punitive to some of the people who really do need this. The, the, the kids, and I'm not talking about the 18-year-olds with severe pain, I'm talking about the 3- and 4-year-olds with the seizure disorders, the caregivers who really got into this because they believed medically it was a helpful, and it's it, the onus is on them now, and cynics will say it's just because the state would like to see some of the revenues going to medical marijuana coming in and getting taxed as recreational. David, your quick take wraps it up. The bill goes too far and is, is too punitive. For example, it says you, if you're a caregiver, you're, you're growing for other people, you have to register within 10 days of getting a notice you're supposed to, and, and that's fine. But if you don't register within the 10 days, then you're forbidden forever to become a caregiver. 
everybody in, you can be out of town. There's a million reasons why we have all failed to respond within 10 days to something we got in the mail. And a lifetime ban is too severe a penalty for the kind of mistakes that everybody makes when getting a notice from the government sometimes. Well, speaking of mistakes from the government, it's time to get to Disgrace of the Week. Patty, as always, start us off. And I have one. You know, we've, we do, we're masquerading as Miami Beach for a while in January, but it is Colorado. It does snow. And the way Denver Public Schools handled the decision yesterday to cancel school, after many of the kids had walked to their buses, many of the teachers had gone there, was just a disaster. I was watching uh, uh, Eli's Channel 2. You see, this, they did a morning shot, and there's this one poor kid in front of East High School just waiting for his parents to come back, <laughs> just sitting there waiting. It was, it was just a, a perfect image of that failed policy. You're right. David. The Joe McCarthy of 2015, Arizona Representative Raul Grijavla, uh, who sent a letter to the University of Colorado demanding to know about Professor Roger Pilkey, who is a uh, climatologist who thinks that global warming is real, favors a man-made global warming, favors a climate tax, but has also written articles saying that this whole thing like, Global warming is causing massive additional hurricanes and things like that, the sort of apocalypse disaster movie scenarios, that that's not really accurate. And so because he dares to question one aspect of this McCarthyite orthodoxy, now there's a congressional investigation of him. Penn. Denver police officer Sean Miller, who has probably set a record for 40 complaints in nine years, um, and the DPD wonders why they have an image problem. Eli. That's a good one. Um, I'll meet Dave on the climate change thing and say Senator Jim Inhofe of Oklahoma taking a snowball to the Senate floor yesterday and saying, see, climate change doesn't exist. <laughs> I mean, talk about a face palm. I mean, how, I mean how, how somebody like that gets elected over and over and over again is just sort of mind-blowing. That, to me, is the disgrace, is yeah. the, the, the keep getting reelected. Say something nice rather quickly. Patty. Uh, planes, trains, and automobiles, the return of the ski train heading to Winter Park on March 14th. One time only, but we'll see if it keeps going. So look fast. David. Larry Zimmer, broadcaster of University of Colorado football games for 41 years, looking like he's coming back from, from health problems and will be able to broadcast for us again. Penn. Uh, two locally. Um, a community is made up of, of its people. We lost two, two good ones that we commemorated this, this week. Floyd Jackson, the father of Denver County Court Judge Gary Jackson, passed away. A real pioneer, World War II veteran, and activist in the, the, the community here. And then the naming of the library for Corky Gonzalez tomorrow. That's going to be wonderful. Eli. I'll just say thank you to everybody in, in town who's been in touch with me this week and, and, and made me feel... Uh, really gratified for having for the work that we've done the last several years here and, and for being part of this community those are the all the folks that i'm going to miss leaving and uh the folks who have made denver and colorado such a great home so thanks to all of them well i will echo that i think you need some huge shoes to fill uh politico's gain is uh, certainly our loss but we certainly wish you the very best glad we could uh, uh feature this as part of the eli farewell tour <laughs> i appreciate it <laughs> that's all the time we have tonight thanks for tuning in remember that if you missed any part of the show or want to catch our web exclusive segment cio post game check out cpt12.org or youtube i also send out our takes via twitter so please feel free to follow me at ddazuti also i'm excited to announce that you can listen to our show on a podcast on itunes that's right be sure to check it out right there on itunes.com. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night.